you would please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We are looking at the first six verses. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 6. Please follow in the reading of the Word of God. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, but which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Father, we come today to look at the Apostle Paul as he instructs us on a servant's loyalty, our, our devotion. And Father, I think about the heartache that this man was enduring at the time of this letter. And Father, I pray, I pray that we would have a concern for our brothers and sisters, that we would understand the dangerous times that we live in, and we would understand that if this can happen to a church set by the Apostle Paul, we too are dangers. Father, help us to hear, help us to see. But Father, I beg you that each of us here this day would stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that, Father, that we would understand that in you we are more than conquerors. That, Father, we would understand the power and the authority that you have. And that, Father, that we would understand that you are with us even to the end of the age. To you, my King and my Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. We're going back through this, and I wanted to share you know, this kind of like a little review because we're dealing with basically chapter 10 through the end of the book is an overarching theme of spiritual warfare. Uh, I know a lot of people have taught spiritual warfare in error, and they don't deal with it in its simplicity because it is, it, it is simple. It is speculations and lofty ideas raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. And that comes in a manifestation of many things. The other thing that you can see here is the Apostle Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to look at the contrast between the, his accusers and him. And one of the things that happens at times, and, and I think that we're all kind of guilty of it at, at, at intervals, is that we will hear something or someone will suggest something and all of a sudden it puts a seed of doubt. Okay. And just as that, that little seed, that's all it is. Well, what if? Okay. Uh, and yet you will look at something that has over time proven itself, but then all of a sudden at time you will doubt. All right. Now you, you say, well, what do you mean? Okay. Listen, anybody here doubted Christ? Huh? Have you ever been struggling with your finances and wonder where in the world is he putting your money? Okay? It's that simple. 
And it's just a seed of doubt. That's all it is. You may take an action on it. You may not take an action on it. But it just lays there. Okay? And you've got to ask yourself, if you're truly honest with yourself right now, when has God let you down? And now, now listen, I don't want you to think that, well, he never gave me that Maserati I wanted. Well, you're still alive. You may get it yet. Okay? But, but, but the problem is, you may not want it. You know, uh, you just, you look at the cost of repairing cars today. My neighbor works on cars, and I went over to his, and he had a hot rod in there. And I looked at that, and I thought, good Lord. Okay, and then I had him do some work on the front of my one ton, and I walked over there. It won't fit in his garage. So he's out in the gravel with jacks and jack stands and all the rest of it. And I walk around there, and he just looks up at me. He's got sweat pouring off of him, and he's saying words that I'm not allowed to repeat. And I, he says, this thing's all rusted, and I can't live. And it's like, uh, I'll talk to you later, man. But anyway, uh, <laughs> But you you said it, and I want you to think about it, because what had happened is this church, founded by the Apostle Paul, was doubting the Apostle Paul. Now think about that for a second. How do you do that? How are you a church without this man? But now you're going to doubt what this man taught you? What does that make you? I can tell you what it is. A social club. Okay? Okay. What had happened is, after the Apostle Paul had left, slick speakers had come in and were seducing the saints. Okay? Go back to the word speculations. What is that? I remember a guy one time come up to me and he says, I've got to ask you a question. I always love it when they do that. I've got to ask you a question. He looks at me and he says, no, this is serious. I said, all right, what is it? He says, what would have happened... If the Jews would have received Jesus as Messiah. He would have set up the millennial kingdom right then, right? I said, no, God would be a liar. And he about fell out of his chair. Because God said they wouldn't. All right. And, you know, oh, wow. But see, it's, it's like, well, look, look, I've come up with an idea. Well, no, not really. Okay. But but that's that's what we do. There are times the, the greatest thing that you will ever deal with is what if? Okay, we all say God is sovereign, unless what? Fill in the blank. There's times that you want what if? Well, it didn't. And I mean, you can take that across everything that you ever deal with, every moment of your life. It is exactly what God had planned. Well, but what if? No, there's no what if. This is exactly how it works. Okay? Paul was not a person into self-defense. It was not popular to him. He did not like doing it. And he would rather never have to do it. If you look at the writers of the New Testament, he is the only one who ever had to defend himself. Nobody else in the New Testament defended themselves. Just the Apostle Paul. They had forced him, because of these seducing teachers, they had forced him into having to defend himself. Okay? He, if you go back to chapter 10, verse 12, 
we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves, compare themselves with themselves, and they are without understanding. Okay? He had no commending. He had no exalting. And when I look at this, it's never really about Paul. He's defending his character because this is what my ministry is. This is what God has called me to. And I am fulfilling what God has called me to. Okay? This letter, if you look at it, and even 1 Corinthians, except for the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, there are no doctrinal issues. Okay? There is no new New Testament doctrine in these two letters. The attack that had been on him, his credibility... He has forced him to write what you know as 2 Corinthians. Why? Brothers and sisters, that's spiritual war. That's spiritual war. I run into a family. I told the guys in Sunday school this morning. I run into a family that had been here in the church years ago. They were with us when we were downtown. And they helped us when we moved up here. And uh, they got mad at me five or six years ago. And uh, they left the church, and I, I was up at the Lutheran church a couple of weeks ago, um, a little more, about a month ago. And uh, Ubasa was doing a conference. He had, has a, uh, an ex-rabbi friend of his was doing uh, a conference on the Song of Solomon and how that is a picture of Christ. And, you know, with the Jewish perspective, it was pretty fascinating. Anyway, I was up there at this church up on the Ridge Road, and this family seen me. And I'm, we were close. It wasn't. And so I asked the, the, the husband, the father, do you attend Obasa's church? And he just walked away from me. Never acknowledged that I was even standing there. And I thought, well, that's peculiar. But I know people right now in this town who run around throw accusations. You know, I, I give the same response. Compare the fruit. That's basically what the Apostle Paul is doing. Okay? And, and as we look at this, we have to start saying, okay, when you think about a servant of the Lord, okay, I don't care who it is. It can be a pastor, it can be an elder, it can be a deacon, it can be a person who attends the fellowship. Okay? How do you know their loyalty? Okay, how do you know that? And what we're looking at here is that if you want to see a servant's loyalty, first of all, and we looked at this last week, is their loyalty to God. Why? The Apostle Paul here makes a statement, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Why? God put me in Corinth. God put me there to birth this church. God put me there for almost two years to teach you. To raise up leadership. To make you discern things. And you have shown your disloyalty to God. Okay? You see the word for, I am jealous for you. And he just lays it out, this is the reason. Okay? But then you see right there with the godly jealousy, what's the next word? For? Why? For this reason too. For this reason too. Okay? 
Fascinating. This is totally fascinating. For I betrothed you to one husband. I betrothed you to one husband. Now think about that for a second. Let that just kind of move around in your head. Okay? I am jealous of you as a godly jealousy because I want you loyal to God. Now I have betrothed you, so I need your loyalty to Christ. See, his concern was that the Corinthians were being disloyal to Christ. Now you got to get a hold of this. You got to get a hold of this. I don't know that I can do it, so I'm praying that God does it for you. Because this is an amazing section. He's discussing this loyalty and he addresses this loyalty in an analogy. But it's a truth. All right. Look what he says. I have betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ, that's the husband, I might present you as a pure virgin. Okay. A, a pure virgin at the time of your wedding. Now think about it. The concern is whether this betrothed. Okay. You know it as the engagement. That's when the guy acts foolish and does something really corny and gives him a ring. Sometimes. <laughs> I negated that. I didn't think it was necessary. Okay. Is the lady, is this virgin disloyal to that pledge? See, when the guy gives the ring that's engaged, that is a sign of the pledge. Okay. All right. Now, listen, it is given before. The wedding takes place. See, this is the picture that is being given here. Now, you know, I was reading, uh, I can't remember which one of Spurgeon's books. Anyway, it's irrelevant. And he talked about the contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he said that the Old Testament is the most eloquent mansion that you could ever believe in or see or ever be designed and the New Testament turns all the lights on so you see the intimate detail. And I thought about that, and, and, and it's true. Who am I to argue with Spurgeon? But anyway. But I thought about this. When I read, think about the Bible, it is an expanse of God revealing himself to man. Okay? It starts in Genesis, runs all the way through. You see how man comprehends it. You see how he stands in all of it. And yet, man in his infinite stupidity treads on that grace. Then you see God manifested in the New Testament. Okay? Now, at the conclusion of the New Testament, what happens next? He returns in all of his glory. All right, so you see it over here, as the writer of Hebrews says, the types, the shadows. And it rolls all the way through. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Paul has in his mind in this text, this section, the Jewish wedding. 
Okay? That's the main issue in this Jewish wedding thing. And we too. We, we, we have what is called the engagement. And then we have the wedding. To the Jewish, they would call it the betrothed. And then the nuptials. Okay? That's their parallel. Okay? The Jewish ceremony, the wedding, the nuptials, was the completion of a covenant, of a promise. All right? That is the betrothal. When the ceremony came, the covenant was fulfilled. All right? You had this time of engagement. And but the covenant was started at the engagement, at the time of the betrothal, this engagement. The ceremony or the nuptials is the conclusion of that covenant. Okay? Usually it was about a year. Okay? And it was usually a year of preparation. It's not what you think it is. You know, I uh, I remember when my daughter got married, and it was about nine years of preparation. No, <laughs> it it they, they you know the invitations and it's got to and you got to have and we got to have and we got to have and you got to do and what are we doing here? Um, and uh, it was quite the event. I watch this on a regular basis when people get married. There's this huge thing, you know, got to go pick out a wedding dress. Got to have this. You got to have that cake, flowers, chickens, whatever. All right. At the writing of this letter, what's going on is that when the betrothal started, the engagement started, that would meant that the groom was probably going home and add a room to the house. Okay. He had to get things together to take his bride home. All right. There's also the possibility that you had to get the dowry. Sometimes the, the father of the bride would request something. And so the groom would take whatever time was necessary to come up with what the father's request was. So you have this, this betrothal time of, uh, of, of the groom actually preparing to bring the bride home. Okay? But the betrothal, see, it's, it's, we've kind of changed it. The betrothal for the bride, that time, was for her to prove her purity. It was time for her to prove her character. Time for her to prove her loyalty. Time for her to prove her faithfulness. Listen, she has to do this with none of the benefits of the marriage. Okay? That's key. Why? I have made a covenant with this man that I will be pure until he takes me home. Alright? All there is for this lady is the vow itself. Okay, in the writing of the New Testament, there wasn't even an engagement ring. Okay, the vow was: Will she keep it? Will she sustain it, waiting for her groom? 
See, listen, in the Jewish culture, even today, the betrothal is a contract. Okay? That's what it is. It's a contract. It's a legally binding contract in the Jewish community. That's fascinating. You know, I watched it in, in the lands of Russia. Uh, the, they don't date. And I thought, get that dog to hunt in America. Um, they, they say, I, they meet each other at the church and they're not even allowed to be out without a married couple with them. Try that here. <laughs> Y'all know if you tried it. <laughs> okay. But you ever thought about that? Why? Because we are going to remain pure until the time of our wedding. It was also, to the Jewish community, a morally binding contract. That's basically what a covenant is. It's a contract. It was also a spiritually binding contract. And listen, the only way that you break a betrothal is either by a letter of divorce... Or death. Okay? If one broke the betrothal, the contract, the covenant, it could be punished by death. Remember Joseph and Mary? It says that he wanted to put her away quietly. Why? That's what he was going to do. I would give her a letter of divorce. He was a gracious man. I'm not going to take her out and hit her with rocks. Okay? He was going to put her away. And think about it now. They were just engaged. They were engaged. Okay, now, you, you say, well, okay, yeah, that, that makes all sense. Now, I want you to think about something, though. During this engagement time, during this time of being betrothed, it was the responsibility of the bride's father to see that his daughter remained pure and faithful to her pledge. That was the father's responsibility. Okay? She would be living with the father. I, I've heard so many people, quote-unquote Christians, will move in together and they say, well, that's just the betrothal time. No, it ain't. Okay? <laughs> I don't care what you call it. Well, it's just like Joseph and Mary. No, it ain't not like Joseph and Mary. Okay? Mary was with her father. Why? Because it's the father's responsibility to make sure that her, his daughter is pure. Okay? It was the care. Now think about this for a second. Because this picture is just going to keep getting huge. Okay. It was the father's responsibility to care and to protect. Okay. His desire, the father, and his duty was to keep any men from breaking that covenant. To keep the bride pure. Okay? Let me ask you something, husbands. What is your responsibility to your wife? 
Do you ever think about that? Love her as Christ loved the church and do what? Wash her feet. No. <laughs> Wash her with the word. Why? Why? So you may present her as a pure and what? Chaste virgin to God. You know how far ago this started? This picture? Genesis 1. God gave us a picture of the bride of Christ in Genesis 1. Now, let's read on. Think about this for a second. It is the Father's responsibility. It is His desire. Why? Because God ordained it. The Father wants to present her to her betrothed husband at the time of the ceremony, at the time of the nuptial ceremony, pure virgin. She has never been with another. Now listen, think about it. Who presents the bride? Right? Where did that come from? The Bible. Okay, do you see what I'm trying to get at? So you see this picture and how it all weaves together. The father presents the daughter into another's care. I have brought this into life. I have cared for it. I present it to another's care now. A pure and chaste virgin. Just as I brought her into the world. Okay? That's the father's responsibility. Okay? Got it? That's the mindset the Apostle Paul has right here when he says, I have betrothed you to one husband. Alright? Now then. Who is Christ's bride? Hmm. Who presents her as protected. How many of you guys want to sign up to be elders? Pretty interesting, don't you think? Do you understand that's part of my responsibility? I don't like that at all. I even filed a complaint. God designed the father to be the protector and the savior of his home. That's how God designed it. That is the head of the home. It was designed regardless what we do with it. Okay, you can sit and say, well, I didn't sign up for that. Too bad. 
This is the picture that the Apostle Paul is giving to us in this text right here. Paul's, when I come to you, Corinth, when I came to Corinth, I gave you the gospel and I betrothed you to Christ. Believing the gospel, you have pledged your loyalty and your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are awaiting the wedding ceremony. You have pledged obedience and purity unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You've made this pledge. You have made this contract. And salvation is the promise of it. The marriage, by the way, has not happened. In case you were wondering. Okay. The bride has not been received into the groom's home. That has not happened yet. And Paul understood it, that it is my job to keep you pure until that happens. Paul's picture is the loyalty to the groom. Paul's picture is loyalty unto the Lord. Paul's picture is the loyalty unto Christ. Paul was the father of the bride in Corinth. And he has engaged her unto Christ. Now it's his responsibility to protect her until the wedding ceremony. Remember in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I, You have many teachers, but you have one, one father. Okay? He is their spiritual father. He has the responsibility and the desires to present her Pure unto the Lord. Paul is the one who brought the light. Paul is the one who brought the life into the Corinthian society. Paul says here, I have betrothed you not only as a father, bringing a daughter into the world, but also gives her away to her husband. Okay? I gave you to Christ. Until the wedding ceremony, it is my responsibility, the Apostle Paul said, to protect you and to guard you and to keep you from being seduced. I gave you to Christ. I betrothed you to one husband. That is God's plan. You know what's amazing about this? doesn't seem like a whole lot of room for polygamy. What do you think? Okay, now, now listen, you've got to carry this all the way back to Genesis. And then you carry it in here. Who would we be betrothing the church to? Well, who are Walter? No. It's Christ. One man, one woman for life. That is God's picture of marriage. Why? I want to show you what I have in store for you. It's based on one. Paul says, I pledge you to the one and only husband, and I want you to be put into his presence pure. Now do you see why when he says in verse 28, uh, his concern for all of the churches? 
Think about all the churches that he was foundational in starting. And he had a concern for them. Why? He had betrothed them as their spiritual father to the Lord Jesus Christ. I might present you as a pure virgin. See, he is the only one. Paul was the spiritual father, but the spiritual father had given the bride betrothed unto Christ. Okay, when the ceremony comes, then you will enter into that permanent, intimate love of Jesus Christ. Remember, this: abide in these three things, faith, hope, and love. But love is the greatest. Why? Because all the rest of them are gone. See, we're, every one of us who is a Christian should be eagerly awaiting the wedding ceremony. We're waiting to go to the house of the groom. Remember what Jesus talking to his disciples in John 14? I must go and what? Prepare a place for you. Why? I will bring my bride. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, I can chase that thing all the way back to Genesis 1 and roll all the way through, and you can see how man in his infinite stupidity perverts it. I mean, you read it this morning. Lot's daughters. That's brilliant thinking there. But if you see the curse that is on the Amorites and on the Moabites, you're like, well, you got what you sowed. See what I'm trying to get at? Why? God says, look, this is what I'm going to do. But then our wives talk us into having the handmaiden. We'll have a whole culture of people who hate us. Thought that through, didn't you? Why? I have a plan. Someday, that ceremony will take place. Whether you step out as an individual into the wedding feast... Or whether it is in the great catching up. I am a firm believer that the seven years that the tribulation is going on down here. We will have a seven year wedding party. Whoa. Okay. In the house of the groom. The marriage supper of the lamb. And we will all stay in the kingdom of heaven. That was Paul's concern. He wanted the church to be pure. That's what 1128 means. My daily concern for the churches. Why? I want the churches to remain pure. Corinth had turned her back and become disloyal to their engagement promise. Let me tell you something. That's a dangerous place. That is a dangerous place. If you think about it, What down here would cause you to cheat on Christ that would be of greater value than Jesus preparing a place for you in his father's house? You ever think about that? He wants purity until the wedding feast. 
Verse 3 says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. I'm afraid. I'm afraid your mind has been seduced. What did I tell you spiritual warfare was? Speculation and lofty ideas. Where is that at? In your minds. If you eat of this fruit, you will know as God knows. Deceived. How easy do we fall into it? Well, if the Corinthians can fall into it, if Paul was concerned about it in all the body of Christ, and we can see Eve, who was morally neutral at the time, fall into it, you're exempt how? How do you get out of it? It's easy to do. And no, listen, nobody's going to wake up tomorrow morning and say, Today, I shall be disloyal to Christ. Well, if you do, don't get near me. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's your plan, just don't call me. All right? I'm afraid, Paul said, that you have been seduced. And I think that his greatest heartache, think about it. He showed up there unexpectedly for his second trip and they made false accusations against him. And nobody in that church defended him. Okay? Yet, he was God's messenger who brought the gospel there to betroth them to the groom, Christ. How could they not be loyal to him and to Christ? And let me tell you something. This is a human tragedy. And I read this letter and you say, how can that happen? And yet, I look around and it happens all the time. The engaged individual is seduced. And it's tragic. Think about it. Listen, have you ever watched a couple who have been engaged? Okay. And they're waiting for that time for the wedding. Okay. And one of them breaks the engagement. I've seen that happen three times in my life. And it was one of the most heart-wrenching things. I didn't do it, and I, it was just people that I knew, and I watched it happen. And I watched the heartache that was in that. And I, to this day, it is shocking to me. I have seen people who buried loved ones who didn't hurt as much as to have that engagement broken that way. When they cheated on the one they had promised to. Okay, how much greater is that pain when a Christian is disloyal to the one that she has been engaged to by salvation? Listen, uh, on Wednesday nights, I'm teaching out of 1 Timothy chapter 3 on... uh, those who would aspire and desire the office of overseer. And it's very, well, it's a doctrinal book, but it's, it's very explicit. It doesn't 
It's not hard to really interpret. Then I lay this text next to it. And you say, mercy. I think about the Apostle Paul saying, who is adequate for such a task? But the Apostle Paul also said, if not for grace, there I would go. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? You know, Stephanie and I, every once in a while, we'll get these odd things in the mail on churches that are looking for uh, pastors or uh, pastors looking for churches or these assorted things. And uh, she always finds the dandies. Uh, I try to avoid. I don't know where she gets online at, but girls stay away. Um, but, you know, you read some of these things on what they're looking for. And it don't fit. It just don't fit here. Do you understand that my job You know, when you start saying, what is the pastor's job description? Describe it. It's to get all of you to the end of the betrothal. That's my job. And some of you make it difficult. (laughs) They're not here today. (laughs) Don't look around. (laughs) Who is he talking about? (laughs) They're not here today. Okay, Do you understand that? If they discredit me, if they attack my credibility or it is destroyed, how can I teach or train or show you the truth of God? Do you see why the Apostle Paul has defended himself? If they discredit the Apostle Paul or something happens to me, you will be victimized by the false. You will be seduced. And deceived as Eve. You will be corrupted. My work, my wish, is to bring all of you into Christ's presence as a pure virgin. That is our task. Why? I want you to be loyal to Christ. I don't want you loyal to me. I want you loyal to Christ. I have betrothed you. You know, some of you have actually come to salvation under my ministry. Some of you have not. But right now, you're still under my authority. You are in my house. And it's my responsibility to present you as a pure and chaste virgin. How? Wash you with the word. Not complicated, really, if you think about it. My favorite verse in the scriptures. If you go into my office and you look up behind my uh, chair, you'll see a plaque. With this pulpit and uh, my Bible opened, and it is open to this text. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man 
complete in Christ. And I, that's just, I, I listen to these guys sometimes here in town and they say, well, what's your philosophy of ministry? That? <laughs> well, what about creativity? I see it in there. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to the power which mightily works within me. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, and him laboring to the point of exhaustion. Why? I keep digging into the Word so I can remind you of your loyalty to God and your loyalty to Christ. Okay? My prayer... My passion is that you we not be seduced. But on the opposite side of not being seduced is that, that each of us is capable to help those who are seduced. That's my responsibility. Why? Every one of you have been betrothed to Christ. And right now, I have guardianship. As Paul told Timothy, I have oversight. I have oversight. It's a fascinating picture when I think about it because when I think about it, before creation, God the Father had such great love for God the Son that He wanted to give Him a gift to show His love. And that gift was the bride of Christ. This is before creation. The Son so loved the Father... That he wanted to give a gift to the Father to show his great love. And that was to give his bride to the Father as a pure and holy bride. So when I say this goes back for a few years, it does. That's how it started. We have been given tasks to try to protect each other. We are our brother's keepers. I do have a little more. That's why not many should be teachers, for theirs is a harsher judgment. Okay? That's the bride of Christ. Why? Paul was hurting because they had been seduced, and he was trying to bring them back and bring them aware that they have been betrothed to one. Remember what he says next? If you believe another, what would you just do? You broke the engagement. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the bride of Christ. That it was you before foundations of the earth set us aside father may we understand the passion of the apostle paul and may you infuse that passion to each and every one of our hearts father may our love for the groom grow with every breath until the day of the wedding ceremony to you my king my lord my savior amen